Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks. The podcast is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Whoop. Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. Will Hancock, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2012, is the co-founder and managing partner of Brazos Residential, a company that owns and manages over 3,500 doors of multifamily properties, both here in Texas as well as in North Carolina. Will is an entrepreneur that is living proof that there is riches in the niches. So pass it back and listen up to Will as he shares some good bull. Well, Will, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. I am especially excited to hear about you and your company. And and as we are in a interesting economic time for construction, for multifamily development, I can't wait to hear from you and and learn and just uh, get a lot of knowledge out of your head. Thanks for joining us. Greg, happy to be on. Really appreciate it. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Where where did it start? Where is it now? What what got you into wanting to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, Greg, I think it's a, a funny question because basically I think all, you know, it's this this theory of our entrepreneurs created or born. And I, I definitely, you know, it was very early on. I knew that owning, running a company was important. I've, you know, owned uh, a few different companies and started different companies over the times. Uh, you know, most famous to you guys, I used to own the fireworks stand on the south side of uh, Bryan College Station off Highway 6 there. Did that through college, owned some window washing companies and just a host of other, you know, small businesses. You know, so really got started very, very early on. Love the excitement of being able to, you know, really take what you can do and your efforts are directly correlated with the output. And that's what kind of led us to, you know, James and I's formation of this company is, you know, we ultimately both had this passion to, you know, not only be our own bosses, which is, you know, one piece of it, but really grow a company. Growing people has always been, you know, the most important thing. A lot of people talk about, you know, in our world, how many units do you own? What's your assets under management? And, you know, that's only one little piece of it. For us, it's, you know, how many employees do you have? What is the tenure of your employees? Do they like working there? And I feel like, you know, a lot of the times entrepreneurship can be about cash and how much money you're making. But for us, it's, it's kind of a, a dual role. It's where are we creating people? So interesting. So since we're Aggie Growth Hacks and, and we are all Aggies, you know, on, on here, the podcast here. So what do you think, what is the one thing that you learned at Texas A&M University that has been the most helpful to you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's uh, something we talk about in the office all the time. And, you know, I learned a lot in college that, you know, from books to what have you, but really it's the Aggie Honor Code. Uh, James, my partner, went to school down the road at Baylor. And we both just have this understanding of, you know, doing right by people um, and we we joke kind of in the office that, hey, just don't do anything that's going to send us to jail, right? That there is ultimately a, a real estate and this is still kind of the Wild West. There's very little limitations on what can and can't be done. And from our side, it's, you know, doing no wrong to people. Don't lie, cheat or steal. And, you know, it really, it just got ingrained from that. And, you know, no other university that I've ever seen has that same like commitment to, you know, trust and and what gets done. And I think, you know, when I went to AM for the first time, I was just taken back by, you know, all these people writing the Aggie Honor Code on a test and signing it. And, you know, I have that in my office. My wife actually made me this little plaque thing that uh, sits there. 
And I look at it every day and just kind of think, you know, like this is what we're here for. Yeah. I think that as you, as you talk about that, it's just good business and it's just common sense, but to be part of a community where that is so ingrained in us that it's just who we are. It's table stakes for how we run our business. But I think that, that that has really allowed us and allowed you to grow your business, to grow your people the right way, the way that you want them to be, to be grown. And so that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, what is the, <laughs> this is a load of question. I know. Uh, what is the biggest challenge that you are facing right now and how are you overcoming? How are you hacking it? How are the, the values, the, the growing, the pe- the people that you have around you? How are you overcoming that? Yeah. So I tell you, it's uh, the biggest issue that we run up, not financially, right? There's tons of financial things that we're doing every day to monitor our portfolio. But the biggest thing that I think separates people from okay to being great operators in our space is the people. Finding, attracting, coaching good talent, man, it is hard, right? We have all these properties that have property managers, leasing professionals, you know, all the different tasks, maintenance uh, supervisors, down to our make ready guys. And, you know, you don't think about it, you know, outside of this world, but a maintenance guy who makes 20 something dollars an hour can set the tone for a $40 million investment. And maybe in their side of it, they don't understand, you know, that one day extra of painting or doing this that takes two or three days, what that really financially does to a deal. We really have said, hey, I want you guys to understand exactly why turn velocity matters. Like it's one thing for us as owners to say, no, you got to turn these units fast. It's another for you to say, guys, Four days of this unit being vacant multiplied out by 400 units over a year's worth of time is a million dollars of revenue. You are creating or destroying that type of revenue, right? And it's getting them to understand that, I think, is our biggest hack is because a lot of people don't take the time. They say, oh, there's a maintenance guy. He's just used to painting or whatnot. Well, I started in that role. Right. I, I've been a leasing person. I've done maintenance. Really explaining to those people is our, you know, personal hack, right? It's how do we impart the knowledge that these guys get to know why it's important? Because we think that people knowing why, like these are all adults. How adults learn is totally different than how children learn. But I can tell you, um, as a dad to two small daughters, it's always daddy, why? Adults stop asking why at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, because they don't, because you say, because I said so, it doesn't work. It doesn't work right. on employees near as well as it does a four-year-old. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, let's take a step back here, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is it that that Braz Residential does? I mean, and, you know, let's dig into that first before we, we progress, you know, too far here. Yeah. So I'll give you the simplistic answer. So we're a fully integrated real estate company that focuses on buying, fixing, constructing all different aspects in the multifamily space. So we are niche focused in what we call workforce housing. So that can be affordable housing all the way up to stuff that was built in the 80s, 90s. We take that supply. We are typically buying from depressed rents, long-term owners who didn't capital infuse their deals. And we're coming in, we're renovating these units. We're putting granite countertops, new cabinets, doing all this stuff to make these older apartments supply and stock into as nice uh, as our new supply. Because a lot of the things that you get out of this is much bigger floor plans that were built in the 80s, 70s. 
And it's just, it's about taking them from where they were to updating them to today's standards. Uh, so we do that by a host of things from both uh, physically lifting the interiors, the exteriors. Uh, we closed on a property earlier this week that it's a 600 unit deal in Dallas that we're going to spend about $12 million renovating and bringing it back to its former glory. But it, very simply, we buy and operate multifamily housing through the Sun Belt, primarily focused in Texas and North Carolina. Um, and just kind of filling out the rest of the the Sun Belt. Yeah, and and so I think that that having that niche is really unique, but also that niche within the niche. You know, you can say, okay, I'm in commercial real estate. Okay, that there's a lot of different asset types. You're in multi- multifamily, but even within multifamily, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go and find some of those older properties or the distressed properties, but then have the willingness and ability to invest into those and to bring them up. That's a really cool business model. How did you come up with that? Yeah, so I wish we could say that we were unique, right? There's a, a host of people who do the same type of stuff we do. Uh, James, my partner, has been selling this type of uh, apartment supply for the last 10 years before we started this business. I used to, from the debt and equity perspective, finance these type of deals for my clients. Uh, so we had a very unique view because we were focused on this in our previous life. We have seen some of our clients go from their first deal to owning, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 units and kind of got that inside track and a little inside baseball. And how did they do it? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? Kind of allowing us to A, grow faster, more efficiently. Um, and not you know make the same mistakes that we've seen them make, but really you know it goes down to finding a very niche sector and just really attacking that piece of it. Now we go even one further than that than some of our other you know kind of competitors. We actually buy probably fifty percent of our communities are in secondary or tertiary markets, right? So we're buying an hour outside of the main cities, right? So we own ten assets in North Carolina, two in Raleigh. The other eight are outside or an hour or more outside of Raleigh. And what we found there is supply constraints and people's inability to build there just leaves this apartment stock kind of standing on its own, right? You go into some of these smaller towns and no one's building new supply there. And the current supply is just run down. So when you come in and you start making these huge improvements to a property that people have never seen in these small towns, I mean, we have we have one property in a small town in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, that is a hundred percent occupied. To make an apartment community, you know, a hundred percent occupied is a very big feat in itself, um, and it it just stays full because people see. Yeah, what but to we do that in Rocky Mount is even yes. double or you know, double. It, right. If you know that area, then you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I think I might have lived in one of your units. You obviously didn't know that years ago when I, when I was a soldier at Fort Bragg over in Fayetteville. So just just a side note. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and things like that, right? So we're a, a large owner, one of the top owners in Fayetteville, North Carolina. You know, having that ability to, you know, kind of support our military base and do well by that. There's all these kind of ancillary things that we get out of apartment investing that maybe just investing in core markets you just don't see. Interesting. And how do you identify those? Like, like are you just you just have someone dedicated just finding those deals? Yeah. So we really we have four people in our company who their whole job we've yet to buy a deal that's marketed, right? So you can think of marketed deals like something you go on MLS or see like a single family house. 
Every property that we've bought has been 100% off market. That's us writing offers to specific owners, saying, hey, we want to buy your property, working with brokers who you know have relationships with owners to say, hey, this is a deal we want to buy. And for us, we're going into markets and saying like, okay, who's the ugliest duckling, right? It's nothing you know, hugely proprietary, but we're looking for deals that are ugly, mismanaged, have crime issues, things that we can do. We took you know, a deal in Rocky Mount that had a terrible crime issue. You know, It's got a new roof now. It's got new windows. We gated and fenced the facility. So it's one of the only properties in Rocky Mount that is fully gated and fenced. Um, we've hired police officers uh, to patrol it. We have a couple officers living there. For us, it's about providing a better you know, lifestyle for our residents where they can feel safe. And for a nominal expense, you know, they're getting a huge benefit. And it was one of these properties that you know, we knew it was going to be a large undertaking. And, you know, we we had the first initial pushback of, you know, some of the people who were, you know, doing some of this criminal activity. As soon as those people cleared out, I mean, I was there this week and people are stopping you and say, hey, thank you. Really appreciate what you guys are doing here. Even though they are getting a, a rent increase for some of the stuff that they're getting, it largely outweighs, you know, what they're getting um, on the flip side. People come and thank us, which is, you know, a great piece of overall value that we get out of doing these kind of projects. Will, how many how many doors do you have under management right now? Yeah, so we're roughly thirty five hundred units, uh, around four hundred and fifty million in asset value. Okay, so so that's spread out from North Carolina to Texas. Do you have, do you have anything that's west of Texas? No, so Texas is kind of it for us. So the greater DFW area and then North Carolina. Now we look underwrite and kind of vastly the market is very tough this year, but we we underwrite a ton of different transactions, you know, trying to make sense of deals kind of all through the greater Sun Belt. It's just interesting times when your borrowing rates are, you know, seven, eight, nine percent as opposed to, you know, 18, 24 months ago when they were, you know, three percent. Yeah. And the former banker in me wants to nerd out on that. But but the bigger question that I have is for you to run a company that's got over thirty five hundred doors that you're responsible for it and you're doing major construction renovation in these projects and you're dealing with, you know, a whole bunch of different people, you have to have good systems. What was the hardest system for you to build and and how did you actually build that out? So that you Yeah, I would tell you it's it's 100% the construction management piece. Construction makes and breaks these deals because like we kind of touched on earlier, if it takes 45 days to turn a unit versus 21 days to turn a unit, it's a vastly different outcome in leasing velocity, term velocity. So really, we started with good people, right? So we hired our head of construction, a guy named Wes, who used to be my old neighbor. Um, he was running a, a big home building company. And ultimately, he took a leap of faith to be part of uh, you know a new venture. And then we surrounded him with some other good people. We have an amazing uh, construction team in both Dallas and North Carolina. But these guys have honed in from you know the the original days, you know, a year and a half ago of doing it all in Excel spreadsheet to um, finding better software that has AI integrations and can really work with you know, many different facets of how the project is going and what is the delays and being able to send out messages to people when things are, you know, not progressing or somebody didn't check something off. 
Um, so it's been a it's been a year and a half kind of project for us really getting to the point where we are. But now things are really starting to click, and you can see, you know, when we would first close on a property, you know, paint would go up in a month, two months, whatever. We it would take time to get things going. And I mean, we closed on a property this week and they'll start painting next week, right? And it just nice. the efficiency get so much better and faster. And, and really that's that's been the main piece. You know, you grow out different aspects of the company, but by and large, construction management. Interesting. And 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 just kind of digging into the whole North Carolina thing, how how did that like how did you branch out from Texas to North Carolina? Yeah. So we ultimately James and I were in a very prolific career in this type of space and these multifamily deals in Dallas. And when we quit that career, um, it's hard to, you know, kind of garner some of the attention that you need to be able to buy deals in your backyard. A lot of people knew you as their competitors and it's a little difficult to break in. So that was one aspect of it. The other aspect was, you know, we knew North Carolina, some of the growth that had been occurring there. Uh, from a population standpoint, from a job standpoint. And ultimately, they had just kind of somewhat lagged the market in some of their value-add opportunities, right? There was deals that hadn't been touched. There were still deals that the original owners had owned. I mean, we bought five deals, six deals last year that were built or that we bought from the original developer. This is a guy who built it in 1988 and owned it since last year. So they had better aspects of that. The other piece is is taxes and insurance, things that have crushed the Texas market. Um, We've had, you know, hailstorm after hailstorm, tornadoes, freeze storms, all this stuff has drastically impacted our insurance premiums in Texas and then the taxing authorities, right? In North Carolina, insurance cost is still relatively low. And the way property taxes are done there is they're assessed. Every county has their own assessment kind of timeline, but you can buy a property and the taxes stay the same for two, Three four, years. eight it's years. Great. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it gives you the opportunity to buy something at a really depressed price, you know, that it needs a lot of work and you're not just instantly hit with a massive tax bill. Um, so we've really kind of honed in on the markets we like there, where reassessments were coming. And it's, it's a great market for people to buy post your renovation because then they can sit there for two, four, six, eight years with your old tax basis. So there's a lot of really good opportunities. One of the things, just knowing coming from North Carolina to Texas and, and how the North Carolina market is a little bit, obviously they have a state income tax that Texas doesn't have, but Texas still gets his money somehow. And it's through the real estate tax. So, so knowing that, and, and you guys are sophisticated financiers to, to blend that state income tax in your model to say, okay, this is a good deal. Is that how you're looking at other properties in, in other states as well? Yeah, for sure. We look at kind of, and look, we, we look for landlord friendly states that are, you know, able to help and that people are not living there and the California where people live for 12, <laughs> 12 months to two years. Um, without, you know, kind of a, a way to get bad actors out. So that's one piece of it. Um, but yeah, we look at a total net return, right? So we say, you know, each year kind of uh, North Carolina's state income tax has gone down. You know, it's, I, I don't know if it ever goes away. There's talks now that it may go away, but it, it you know, continually declines. And if you look at that versus the way that property taxes are being done here in Texas, I mean, it's, 
it is brutal out there for Texas property owners. So, Will, getting into residential or multifamily real estate, what what bit of advice would you give to someone who is interested in maybe a career or interested in being an investor into your world, into your niche? Yeah. So I would say, you know, people looking to be an investor, the nice thing is, you know, whether you invest with us or, you know, other companies is you can take a very small bite-sized investment in most deals. So um, some of these deals we fund with institutional capital, some that are smaller scale, we fund with individuals who, you know, we have syndications where people can put in, you know, $50,000. And although that may be a meaningful chunk of money, you know, you're getting the access to buy a $20, $30 million property and see how it's run, right? You're getting the monthly reports. It's You're getting to be able to dive in and kind of see those things from an actual operator rather than just looking at, you know, the Grant Cardones of the world who are posting things on social media every day, but not getting granular on what you're actually getting. So I would say that from an investment standpoint, it just gets you... It's bite-sized. You can buy a large apartment complex. You're not having to do active real estate management every day, but you can be entrenched as you want to be. Versus someone who wants to get into the business, what I would tell you with someone who wants to be in the business is you need to be well-rounded in our space. Knowing one aspect of it, just isn't enough to be a great operator. You know, I have worked in the brokerage side. I have been on site, uh, leasing, maintenance. I was a finance guy for a long time and an owner operator for multiple years before we started this venture. Getting that holistic picture, you just got to jump in. Um, real estate is a very tight knit community where ultimately people are here to help other people. It's not uh, Wall Street where it's like, you know, cutthroat, you know, everybody has to, you know, swim for themselves kind of mentality. Real estate, I can tell you, even when I was not in the position I am now, I could call large operators. I'm talking about top 50 owners who they would take your call. And, you know, are they going to give you an hour of their time? No, but they'll give you 10 minutes. That's very unique to our industry. So I'd say anybody who's looking to it, A, feel free to reach out to me, but reach out to people who are doing what you want to do. And they're wide open because everyone in real estate, for the most part, got here by someone helping them. And I think in our business, people are willing to help. That's pretty cool. I love that. All right. So switching gears a tiny bit here is that you know every single entrepreneur has a big vision they know where they want to go and that's one of my favorite things that are, that we talk about here on Aggie Growth Hacks is you know what is your vision so well what is your big hairy audacious goal your b hat yeah, so, is your 5 to 10 year moonshot yeah so our goal when we started this company James and I both had an alignment of interest i i didn't know what James really would want to do he had focused on buying smaller deals you know he and i in our previous career um, and I told him my goal was to be a very large owner. And when he said, that's also my goal, that's what kind of formed and sparked our relationship to go start this company. And we set out when we started our company um, and said, hey, we want to be a top 50 owner of multifamily housing in the US. Um, we would give that a five to 10 year horizon to get there. And you know we're well on our way. That takes, call it today, somewhere between 25 and 30,000 units. But that's that's really our big goal. And we kind of set ourselves up as if a company to you know be that way. We have just in our back office, not property level employees, we've got 17 full-time employees. We've hired 
in order for us to get there, you know, we're not necessarily hiring, you know, newer entrants into our market. We're hiring best in class people who have run or worked in very large scale companies that have seen people go from, you know, a couple hundred units to 20,000, 30,000 units. Um, our CIO uh, worked for Monarch Investments who, you know, went from 6,000 units to 70,000 units in a 10 year span. Wow. They're a top 10 owner. So we've surrounded ourselves with people who've been there, done that, but that that's our goal, be a top 50 owner. Well, that that is awesome. And I, and I love how the way that you're going to get there is your people. We're going to get there through our people by educating them, holding them accountable, teaching them, but all of us working together in order to accomplish that BHAG. So let, let's, we're going to roll into our lightning round, but let's pause for just a second for a message from this episode's sponsor. Okay, we're back. So we'll roll into the lightning round, one, one rule, and let's try to keep it between 30 and 60 seconds. Perfect. We are Aggie Growth Hacks. What is your favorite personal hack, your favorite book, podcast? What can we learn from you personally? Yeah, so I would tell you, for me, uh, the personal stuff is the... I really love like the meditation style podcast. We talk about just thought process, ways to get things... I think from a personal standpoint, we get so entrenched in what we're doing every day that if you can take a second to breathe, pause, and kind of reset, I think that does so much more for you than really anything else. Love it. All right. So what is your favorite business hack, book, or podcast? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for me, I'm a big podcast guy. And I would tell you that some of the most interesting business podcasts is what our competitors do. Um, so I am constantly listening to the Fork podcast, which I think has some of the best real estate uh, professionals on it. Taking away you know pieces and bites from those guys has been probably the best uh, podcast that I've you know kind of seen or heard. What podcast? The Force? It's it's, it's a Fort Capital. Fort. So it's a a real estate company based out of Fort Worth, but they they operate mostly in industrial. But they have operators in all different types of spaces that are on kind of each week to talk about real estate. So just on a crazy side question. So so you're able to learn from someone who is a large, maybe commercial and industrial owner and apply that to the multifamily space? Yeah. So he doesn't just have industrial people. So he's he has, you know, he had one of the large multifamily owners on a few times, but they they just have good people who are in our industry of all different types, right? You take commercial real estate, it's funny, there's a million different things you can do in that from it be, you know, lenders, developers. But yeah, I think he has just some of the best in class people on that podcast and just taking away tidbits from what they're doing. Very cool. Well, Will, what's your best bit of advice that you've ever been given? And 2012 points, if you can tell us how you applied it. Yeah, so it's something that we've been talking about, which was the, you know, niches. Uh, I had a, in college, I had a guy who, he wasn't even a professor. He was like an adjunct guy. And I wish I could remember his name right now. Um, but he was teaching this class in the uh, ag school that talked about, he was, you know, very much about businesses and how you grow them and kind of going through this stuff. 
Um, but he said this thing about niches get riches. And if you can find a niche and extrapolate all that stuff into it, that's how you make money. That broad-based people, it's like, that's that's a great way to make a life, but you know, really focusing on a niche. And we do that every day, right? We could go do development. I could go buy hotels. Like we're very entrenched in the the commercial real estate business, and we we're able to finance and find assets. And ultimately, they're all widgets, right? You can kind of do whatever. Um, but for us, we're dead focused on beds and heads, places where people sleep. That's what we do. Love it. Love that. So, well, how can the Aggie Growth Hacks family get in touch with you? And how can we support you and encourage you? Yeah, no, for sure. I think the easiest way is to reach us, reach out via our website. It has all of my contact number, my cell phone numbers on there. So it's brazosresidential.com. Um, you can send me an email, uh, shoot me a text or a call, and I'm always available. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for opening up about the challenges that you are facing, how you're overcoming them. We can't wait to continue to follow you on your journey and have you be one of the nation's largest owner, multifamily owners uh, someday. But Phil, Will, thanks so much for joining us on the Aggie Growth Hacks. Really appreciate you guys and uh, look forward to a long success of you guys' uh, podcasts and blogs as well. Well, how about that, Ags? Was that pretty cool or what? I know that I, I took a lot of things away from the interview here with Will. What was your biggest takeaways there, Greg? Well, I love his his openness and willingness to share. I, I love that. I think that's maybe an industry thing that he says that you know in, in real estate, people definitely want to help each other. But the thing that struck me over and over again as he was talking is that it was all about people. And, and we've heard that from, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs over the last six seasons of, of Aggie Growth Hacks and so far even in this one, but it's all about people, finding good people, putting the right person in the right seats, and then educating them on why things are important, helping them improve, helping them see the bigger picture, but it's all about good people. And so I, I think that he realized that and, and that that can apply to any business. But really, when you start thinking about, you know, real estate, you're talking about doors and income and NOI and rate of return and all these things that that kind of maybe the people get lost in the noise and the numbers. But he said, no, 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 no. It's all about people. I've got to have good people. And that's how we're going to grow. What about you, Chris? What'd you take away? So I, I 100% agree with that. You know, you got to have good people for any business to be successful, you know. But for me, you know, when he said uh, the niches get the riches, right? I, that really, really resonated with me because yep. it's true. It is so very true. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again with other folks that we have interviewed, but I live it in my life right now, right? So I own a, a marketing agency called Marketing Heroes, and and we also own RoofingSites.com, and we are 100% focused on RoofingSites.com, which is you know a marketing agency built around helping roofers get mm -hmm. you know more leads and sales, you know, and so we live it ourselves. So that's hugely resonated with me when he said that that you know that they focus on you know distressed properties that that you know multi-unit properties. Right, that they can fix up and they could they could really improve the quality of life for the people that are living in in those 
units. So I think that's really cool way to niche down within a, a, a singular niche, right? So that's pretty cool. Definitely riches in the niches. Not not the first time we heard that, but every time we hear it, it's so true. Well, Alex, that's going to do it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed listening and learning from Will. If you're not connected with him, go go to his website. He's, he's got all of his contact information. He's got a cell phone. It, he'll definitely pick up, especially if you let him know you heard about him on Aggie Growth Hacks. When when you're on the internet, make sure that you connect with Chris and I. Check out our Aggie Growth Hacks Facebook group. Check out AggieGrowthHacks.com where you can listen to this and previous episodes. And finally, if you're not subscribed to Aggie Growth Hacks on whatever podcast app you're listening to, make sure you hit subscribe. Give us a big gigum thumbs up and leave a review so that we can share Aggie entrepreneurship with a greater number of people. Well, Ags, join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig em. Whoop!